Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Father God, we come to you this morning and we're grateful for the gift of life that you've given us in your son. And I pray that in the moments we have left that we will gaze upon the mystery of God with us in this child. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that we get to celebrate. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. How about the band and the choir and all that? Can we give them some love? You just sit there and you know you got to come up and speak and you think it's just going to be downhill from, from there. It's going to not be good. As, uh, as you have heard throughout the morning, we live between these two advents. Uh, and what's beautiful is that you have all made it here today. How many of you looked outside and saw the sleet and said, too bad, we're going? I mean, it's pretty impressive. The early service, had they known, they would have left during it, but they walked out to all the, the little pellets on the ground. As you gather with family and friends, as the trees are all set and kids are all ready, uh, we just want to spend a few minutes this morning just contemplating, reflecting, what does it mean to live in between, in between when Christ came and waiting for Christ to come. As, as Gary said earlier, uh, a lot of times theologians use the term already, not yet, uh, that Christ has come, but he's still coming. I think the best picture is from the great theologian uh, Bob Dylan, who's, who called it a slow train coming, right? And if you've ever been waiting for a train and the engine comes, and if someone were to ask you, is the train here? You'd say yes, but it's not fully here, right? We're waiting for the caboose to actually, and that could take a while. It's a long one, and it's taking a while. And so we live in between, in this place to say, what does it mean for us to behold, to worship? Luke's gospel gives us the scene from the past that we get this picture of Christmas in the birth of Christ. And we tend to decorate it up a lot, but it really is a scandalous story. It's a scandalous story from the standpoint that this is an unwed teenage girl. When Audrey was reading up here, it feels a little uncomfortable to think that Mary could have been that age. Most of you were like, uh, don't talk about getting pregnant at this point. Go to college, right? Do some things. But in the culture that day, that's when girls married. So she's engaged. She's an unwed teen mom. She's the, it's the virgin birth, which some of you are still wrestling with. She's on a road trip with Joseph on a donkey, which is demanded by a roaming government that has the Jewish people under their thumb and oppressing them. 
And they end up spending the night without a home, in a barn. And when Christ is born, he's put in a feed trough. We call it a manger. It sings better. Um, but, it, but manger is a feed trough. And it's in those conditions, kind of in that scandal, that the birth of all births takes place. Emmanuel, God with us. When Matthew uses the phrase Emmanuel, he is wanting his listeners to think back to the prophet Isaiah. 700 years before the birth of Christ, we have this promise that's given that the virgin will be with child and she will have, give birth to a son and she will name him Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew is announcing that birth, that promise is being fulfilled today in Bethlehem, that Christ has come. The Jewish people had such a high view of God, they would never allow an image or an icon or a statue. And in the Roman world, this was really bizarre because they had statues and images for all their gods. And so when the Romans conquered the Jewish people, they actually referred to them as atheists because they were people without gods. And yet the truth is that God would not give himself to us in an image or an icon, but he came to us in person, in the language of our own humanity. And he walked into our very situation, God among us in the flesh. You would ask the question, so when God does choose to share this news, who does he first share it with? If I was God, I would have done it mid-Super Bowl. It seems to be a time when people are paying attention. I could get a lot. But instead, he shows up to a group of shepherds. And whatever you might have thought if you grew up in Sunday school of what a shepherd was, in the culture of this day, a shepherd was a sort of a despised lower class people. They weren't allowed to celebrate in the religious ceremonies because they were seen as unclean. They were people with the sheep. They were so uh, sort of looked down upon and unreliable that they were not allowed to give testimony in court. Can you imagine you're putting together a case and you're saying, okay, well, who are the witnesses? Well, we have six shepherds. Okay, that's not going to work. No, they, you know, it's illegal, basically. They, they, their word is no good. And yet, that is the per people, those are the witnesses that the angel gives the announcement to. It's almost like God is turning this whole thing upside down, that the first will be last, and the last will be first, that the great will be least, and the least will be great. Luke's gospel tells us that God chose to be born into this scandal among the poor, among the powerless, that he would share the situation and bear the burdens of being poor and demoralized peasants in that day. And yet that is the birth, that is the fulfillment of the promise of Emmanuel. 
That's what it meant for God to be with his people, that he would find the ones that the world had no time for. When we look at the other picture that's painted, we move forward to the end of the train, to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, and he paints a completely different scene. Some of you uh, hear about the book of Revelation, and it kind of freaks you out because you think of end times and apocalypse. Others of you hear about it, and you think you totally have it figured out, and that scares everybody else. Um, but, but first and foremost, the book of Revelation is a worship book. It's a book about worship. And so the scene of the birth, for John, he sees a cosmic battle. A woman clothed with the sun, standing on the moon, crying out in labor. A seven-headed dragon with ten horns and seven crowns. And he's sweeping a third of the stars from the sky. And it's telling us that, that Emmanuel, God with us, will be opposed. That this revolution will not go uncontested. It's telling us that there is true evil. A real devil. There are those systems and those people in power who oppress and kill and steal and destroy. And Revelation is the story of the final turning of God where he turns the powers of the day on its head. But we also see in book of Revelation this worship scene. Just as the shepherds kind of caught, caught up in the angels' worship and pursued the baby, so we see these, these pictures of worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We see God active in history in Revelation. They see him as the God who was and who is and who is to come. And we see a picture of fulfillment. We look down the train at the caboose and we're able to see where this Emmanuel project is going. And it's going to a place where there's a renewed heaven, a renewed earth. The picture is John looks at the intimacy between God and his people in this fulfilled moment. He sees it as a union like marriage. He says, Jesus is the groom and his people are the bride. We see fulfillment of what began 2,000 years ago in that manger. We hear him scream, look, the dwelling of God is now among his people. That when we finally get to what our hearts really long for, I think, deep down, we realize that, that Emmanuel, God with us, will be fulfilled, will be face to face with God, finally and forever. And so what will God do for us in that moment? What will that be like? And the picture that John continues to paint is a picture of a, of a God who is reversing all of our enemies. There's not going to be any crying. He'll wipe the tears from your eyes. There'll be no more mourning because death is gone. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more crying. All of those things pass away. 
The kingdom that is broken in is still coming to bring with it the fulfillment of God with us. God himself will be the light of the world. The darkness will be no more. And so these two scenes, one we look back from the past and we see Jesus Emmanuel who is born into the human condition and shares our situation. And yet we look forward and we anticipate the future that's on its way. Emmanuel, God with us face to face. In the Gospels, Jesus enters our situation, but in Revelation, God is bringing us to enter his situation. And so we have this moment where we can taste and experience salvation, but it's still coming. Emmanuel here with us, but Emmanuel who we anticipate to be with. And so here we are today. I I would imagine the engine's way down there and the caboose is way down there and 2017 is right here. And some of you are really glad that it's going to be gone too, right? Some of you look back on the year and you're like, this is a year where there was too much mourning, too much crying, too much pain. We look at the evening news and it doesn't take but 30 seconds to realize the world is not the way it's supposed to be. You know it in your gut. You can feel it. We all can see. We all have a longing for the world to be made right. And so these two stories call God's people to be present in this moment in a different way. There is a a way that we are called to be here now based on what he has done in the past and what he's bringing in the future. We are to be people who live in this place by faith, in hope, to love. We live by faith now because the baby grew up to be a man, a king who was crucified, who reconciled us back to the Father while we were still rebelling against God, who loved us so much that he gave his very life so that when we trust him, we experience his life. And by banking our feet firmly in the experience that we now have peace with God through Christ and the Holy Spirit that he's given us, we stand in faith today. But that faith is a faith that should produce hope. Hope that we have a God that will one day wipe the tears from the eye, who is in the process of bringing heaven to earth, who continues to pursue us, and one day we will see him face to face. I realize it's a massive stretch for the human mind to to consider that the world would be the way it's supposed to be. It's too much mystery and it's too much wonder. And yet if you think about it, how we got here, despite whatever scientific uh, facts are proven, we still don't know why, right? There's still a mystery of what was before. And it's that sense of wonder that God says, just take it a little further. 
This is God's story. A creation in rebellion that is being reconciled back to its creator. And so we're to live in hope, and yet so many Christians don't live in hope. So many Christians are the worst party goers, right? It's a frown, and it's a judgment, and it's a kind of a despising of, and we are the last people on earth that should, should live that way. We are people that should be filled with hope because God showed up in our situation to the people that the world has no time or space for. He met us in our bro most broken moment. And if he can meet us in that place, he can meet anybody in that place. We are a people called to live in hope. By faith, in hope, but all of that moves us towards something and that's to love. We love not because we first loved God, but because God first loved us. When we wanted nothing to do with God, he loved us and sent his son to pay the price for our sins. He pursued us with his radical grace and then said, love one another as I have loved you. And you have tasted that love. If you are here today and you've trusted Christ, you've tasted that love. Well, how has God loved us? He shared our situation. He stepped into our need. He wipes the tears from our eyes. It's pretty simple. Now love each other that way. No one is to be alone in their longing for heaven. We're to bring it to one another in this moment. So on that night in a barn outside of Bethlehem, Jesus voiced his love for you. He voiced his love for the poor, the marginalized. He voiced his, his love for the needy as he cried out as one of us. And you can picture him, eyes shut tight, right? Mouth open wide, wailing, kicking, shaking, dripping in amniotic fluid, fully human, right? Crying like a baby. Some of you are holding a baby right now and you're going, please don't cry, please don't cry. Or you're sitting next to a baby and you're going, please don't cry. But do you see the irony that we're here to worship Christ, the, the baby, and we're like, can we get the babies out of here? <laughs> right, see? We, yeah, that was the whole thing. On that night, as he cries out, he cries out, I'm with you. He shares our cry. He gives us his cry. When he says, because I have come, my father is your father. And so you can cry out, Abba, Father. Because he cried our cry, we get to cry his. And, and what's fascinating is that when God comes to town, he doesn't show up in D.C., right? He doesn't show up with kings and emperors or the rich and the powerful, he probably wouldn't be interested in reality TV. 
he shows up with the poor, the marginalized, the sinful, the people that the world has enough space or time for, people like you and me. And so when we, we, we reflect on these stories, we sing these stories today, and the question that, that comes to my mind is, what kind of, how am I supposed to respond to a God who does that, right? I don't feel like I can reciprocate very well. Some of you will have this experience where someone that you didn't think you were exchanging presents with buys you a gift, right? And you know when you open it, what's the first thing you're thinking? Like, you should not have done this. And then you're like, I have to buy them something. It's kind of how we do. Like, why would you buy me a crock pot? I don't, uh, whatever it is. And it's an awkward moment because you're like, I can't reciprocate it because I can't go shopping right now. When God shows up with his grace, I think we tend as good consumers to go, how do I, how do I reciprocate? How do I pay it back? And I think it's the wrong way to see grace. We really do need to see grace just as we would receive a child into our life. When somebody has a baby and they're like, hey, come see the baby, that, there's no transaction that takes place there. There's no economy. It's just you're going. What are you going to do? You're going to behold a baby. You're going to go look at a baby. And you're going to gaze upon, right? You're going to look at its little fingers and its eyes. And you're, and you're going to be caught up with some sense of like miracle and mystery. That's, that's more of a picture of worship than going, how do I pay God back? There are two things that we see throughout Scripture when people encounter God. They do two things. The first is they come to him. The shepherds, we see it, right? The first thing they did, let's go see, let's come to Jesus. And they come to the major and they see him. And you see it all through the book of Revelation. The, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let those who are thirsty come. Let the one who wants the free gift of the water of life come. Over and over, God gives himself, and he himself is the prize. It's not what can I benefit from him. It's just to gaze upon him, to contemplate him, to realize that you're caught up in the mystery of his love. And so we come to him, and we receive and yet to receive, you're like, how do I receive God? I can't really wrap my arms around God. And, and, and the way that people for millennia have received God is simply to worship God. In a moment, the worship team's gonna come, but, and we're gonna have this opportunity. When we come to God, we see God, and the normal response is always worship. The shepherds leave glorifying God and praising God. What, what else could they do, right? The angels who filled the sky, they sang glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
The heavenly creatures in John's revelation are singing, holy, holy, holy. The elders are throwing their crowns on the ground and they're singing, you are worthy, our Lord, our God. To receive God with us by faith is to loose your tongue and confess your gratefulness. Just as you would if somebody handed you that child and you adored it, right? You gazed upon it. You beheld. You gazed. You complimented. You praised. And yet, we're holding not just any child at Christmas. We are holding the king who has come into our own flesh and blood. God who has moved into the neighborhood and pitched his tent in our village. And so Imago Day, this Christmas, as you go home and you unwrap all kinds of things and you sit and eat way too much food, my prayer, our prayer together is may you experience the hope of Christ who has come. No matter how hard 2017 was for you, may you have the hope of heaven that's coming. May you stand by faith in the God who has come to you because he's come to share your situation. And the God who is coming is coming so that we could share his situation. May you stand in that faith. And then finally, may you be empowered to love. To love those around your table this weekend. To love those whom God and Christ have loved. To love those whom God has blessed you to be yours. May you love those that the world deems unworthy. Because you have tasted God's love for yourself. So Magade, would you stand with me? Would you receive your God this morning? Loose your tongue and confess your grateful praise. Merry Christmas. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.